I've been telling you every week for a number of years about Steel on this podcast. Steel Products, S-T-I-H-L. Been doing it on television much longer than that. Up in Milwaukee taping the show. And I was talking to somebody I came in contact with uh, on another business of mine that uses nothing but steel products for his landscaping business and they sell nothing but steel products why because they're the best in the business whether you're a pro like this guy or you're an amateur like you and me they're terrific they're long lasting and there's an abundance of tools that will help you get the job done stihl steeldealers.com more than 10,000 around the country steeldealers.com stihl more than 10,000 around the country and steel usa where you can peruse all of their wonderful products stihl steelusa.com this week on the Drew Goodman Podcast, Austin Gomber throws a gem in St. Louis. You know he was amped up. You know it meant just a little bit more doing it against his former club. And Drew catches up with Nolan Arenado, who reflects on his departure from Colorado. Yeah, I mean, I think there's some things I wish I could take back with how it went down. Maybe letting it get public there. That's one thing I do regret. That's one thing, I guess, when I was a little younger and I was frustrated and my emotions got the best of me in that time. Subscribe to the Drew Goodman Podcast wherever you find podcasts and tell a friend. This is the Drew Goodman Podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is show number 214 coming to you from the historic Fister Hotel in downtown Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Let me tell you a little bit about Milwaukee if you haven't been here. Love it in the summer, tough in the winter, as you'd expect. Anywhere in the northern climes are going to be a little more uh, difficult in the winter. So when I was doing the Nuggets in the uh, 90s into the first part of the, the 2000s, used to you know, be out on a run and I'd say, okay, what are my favorite places to visit? What are my least favorite? And honestly, back then, coming here in the winter, and there wasn't much happening downtown. I rated Milwaukee at or very close to the bottom. Uh, of the NBA cities that uh, I would travel to with the Nuggets. Fast forward, I start doing the Rockies in 2002, and now you're coming to Milwaukee in the summer, and it's right on Lake Michigan, and the city has uh, seen a revitalization. And uh, I've been saying this for a while. I love coming to Milwaukee. They have a great, great summer fest here with all kinds of... uh, big musical acts. It goes over a couple of weeks, usually the latter part of July. The lake is beautiful. There are beaches, a ton of boating naturally. Sneaky, good city. So if you ever have an opportunity and you haven't been to Milwaukee and Wisconsin, come on out. That's your travel brochure for this particular uh, show. The Fisker Hotel is a an historic hotel. I think it's a historic national landmark. Uh, built long, long time ago. Uh, kind of takes you back when you walk through here. It also has a reputation for being haunted. Not a ghost guy. Don't necessarily buy into uh, ghosts. So when people have periodically asked me, hey, man, when you stay at the Fister, have you ever seen a ghost? No. I have not. I've stayed in a lot of rooms here, stayed here, going back to the Nugget days for well over 30 years. Beautiful hotel, no ghosts in Goodman's room. A lot going on in sports, man. 
Let's begin on the baseball diamond, and we'll begin with the Rockies winning a series uh, in St. Louis for the first time since 2009, and uh, that's remarkable for a couple of reasons. Um, you know, the, the Cardinals have been so good, and uh, the Rockies, like so many teams, have struggled to produce victories there. So it was great to see them take two out of three from the Cardinals. I know this isn't the Cardinals' year, uh, but really good series. And Austin Gomber, who was traded by the Cardinals on Sunday, pitched the Rockies to that series win, a one nothing final. You rarely see those games, period, in baseball, and, and certainly they're not as commonplace uh, with the Rockies. And Austin Gomber, with six shutout innings, you know he was amped up. You know it meant just a little bit more doing it against his former club. And in three previous starts against the Cardinals since the trade, he had an ERA over nine. So it was awesome to see him perform the way he did. And it just further um, kind of cemented what he's uh, done over the last six, seven weeks. He's been the Rockies' best starting pitcher over the last month and a half to two months. I mean, each time out, he's typically gone at least six, given them uh, an opportunity to win. Uh, the Rockies are well over 500 in his starts this year. And it's probably been overlooked by the overall record uh, of the Rockies and the fact that they've been decimated uh, with injuries to their rotation. But Austin Gomber, after a slow start, has really put together a nice season and uh, I don't want to say culminating in, but one of the special moments for him when he looks back on 2023 undoubtedly will be the six shutout innings against the Cardinals at Bush Stadium on a really warm Sunday afternoon where there was zero margin for error, like when the bases were loaded in the fifth inning and Tyler O'Neill was at the plate. Chop to McMahon. Well done by Gobber. He really pitched well to Tyler O'Neill. And again, Austin goes off pumping his fist into his glove. So good for Austin. Good good for uh, Gobber being able to have that kind of day. And don't forget that he was really candid. I give him a ton of credit for this. Going back a, a couple of months ago when he said that he kind of still bears pressure on him because he was the only big leaguer that came in the trade for Nolan Arenado. And I, I thought it took a lot of guts for him to come out and admit that. And I'll be honest also, you're thinking to yourself, after um, he met with the media in the clubhouse and said that after, after a rough start, and he was you know, bearing his soul in, in an emotional way, to the media and thusly to the public, I'm thinking, man, this could go one of two ways. I mean, it, it, it could maybe go the wrong direction for him. Instead, it was, I, I think, a moment where he, he kind of removed, you know, the, the monkey on his back that was maybe more self-induced than anything else. And... He utilized it in a positive way, kind of a positive chip on his shoulder. And since that point in time, as I said a moment ago, he's been the Rockies' best pitcher. So good for Austin Gomber and a good series win for the Rockies. Kind of takes me also to another big story 
in baseball this week. Kevin Brown, who I uh, I don't know, and I'm, I'm sure I'll get to meet him uh, coming up soon when the Rockies take on the Baltimore Orioles. Uh, Kevin Brown is, is a young television uh, and radio play-by-play announcer for the Orioles. And by um, all indications, I'm sure he's a very talented guy. He, he gets high marks from people who do uh, know him. And he supposedly, and I, and I put the term supposedly on that, was suspended by the Orioles, though they deny he was suspended, for a hit on a pregame show alluding to the fact, fact is very important here, that the Orioles had won three of five games down in Tampa this year in a place where previously they had not won very frequently. I think it was three out of their previous 21 encounters with the Rays down at the Trop, Tropicana Field. Again, Baltimore, the organization said they did not suspend him, but word had leaked out that he was suspended because they were upset, again, allegedly, with those comments. And when you first heard them, you're saying, well, what did he say? What what was upsetting to the organization? Was there something else there? And again, there, as of this taping, there have been no other reports that, well, it was really something else or, you know, more to the story. So uh, I wanted to address this. And if that is, in fact, the case that he was suspended for spouting facts about where the Orioles were, and actually, as he positioned it, it was complimentary to the Orioles, who were one of the best teams in baseball this year, just two years removed from losing 110 games. Good for the Orioles, good for their organization, good for their drafting, and, and now realizing uh, some of their young players uh, and talented young players have put together a heck of a major league season. As a broadcaster, I always look at my job to dissem- to you to disseminate information, to provide the audience with information about their club and about the game that night. So it's two clubs. And... Not all of the stats, certainly, and information that you are going to pass along is going to be flowery in nature, is going to be necessarily positive about where a club is. You are not throwing them under the proverbial bus by mentioning, as I did over the weekend, quite frankly, with the Rockies had rolled into St. Louis. They had lost 12 straight in St. Louis. 18 of 19 and had not won a season series there since 2009, or a series at all, since 2009. Again, that's factual information, and as you sit down to watch the game, you ought to know that. And and guess what? Buddy Black talked about it before the series started. He talked about it after the series was over. Many of the players, certainly the veteran players, are aware of that. It's not a negative. It's it's accurate information. You are not bashing the club. You're saying, hey, here in St. Louis against a team that is perennially good, it's been a tough place for the Rockies. That is my job. I'm obligated to pass that along. As a broadcaster, you get criticized 
especially in social media, quite frequently, especially when the club that you are covering is not doing well. I don't look at it as my job to bash the team that I hope wins every night. But again, I do think it is important for me to provide you background information for the the game that night, for the series over the next few days, and, and give context of where the Rockies are overall. And that's all Kevin Brown was doing with Baltimore. And if, in fact, he was suspended for that, that's shameful. That's shameful. If anything, Baltimore should be celebrating all this information about where they were and now where they are today. Yeah, Billy Schmidt been very upfront, general manager of the Rockies. We have to hit more home runs. We have to have a more powerful lineup. He's talked about that. We have to pitch better. We have to get more pitching in our system. And that's something he addressed and will continue to address, not only in the draft, but during the trade deadline. And so when I, as a broadcaster, or Ryan Spielborgs, or Corey Sullivan, or Jeff Houston, or Jenny Kavner, or Mark Stout, or Kelsey Wingard, pass along information that pertains to your club, that's our job. And certainly when a club is well under 500, the organization realizes, the fan base realizes, that there are things that have to go better, and there are stats and narratives that suggest as such, and your job is to pass that along, that information. It's not bashing. The other thing that, you know, I, I've mentioned, and I'm, I'm being honest here, you know, many times I don't, I don't let whack jobs in social media who are sitting in their basement bother me, but the competitor in me, if I'm being completely honest, you know, it ticks me off sometimes, uh, and, and I want to fire back. And my kids normally are the ones that talk me out of doing it. But none of those people have ever done what Kevin Brown has is doing, what I do for a living or what an analyst does for a living, and go on the air for oftentimes three-plus hours a night and present their team and that evening's game. That's a whole lot of extemporaneous verbiage there's no script and yes you are going to try to portray your team in the best light you can but there's also an honesty component with that and you need to have that to have credibility with your audience the most ardent fan of a team look where the broncos are they've struggled the last bunch of years as we all know and nobody's harder on, on, a, on a team than the most strident fan, right? So again, if Kevin Brown was in fact suspended for doling out information, that uh, is very disappointing to me um, from the Baltimore Orioles organization. It's, it's misguided. It's not understanding at all what the job of the announcer is. Staying in baseball, watching a baseball game the other day and a hockey game broke out. How about that fight between Tim Anderson and Jose Ramirez? These are two stars, too. And no pitcher involved. It wasn't a pitcher plunking a hitter and then the, the, the guy going out to the mound, how most of these fights occur. 
right? Wasn't anything like that. It was seemingly an innocuous slide into second base, and and then Jose Ramirez got up, and 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 I guess there was bad blood prior to that over the years. Two two guys who've played against each other for a long time in the same division. Next thing you know. They're squaring off. And Tim Anderson initially looked like, hey, he knows what he's doing. He's going southpaw. He's got his hands up. And, you know, Jose Ramirez throws a wild right hand, knocks him down and, and damn close to out. And when the suspensions came down, because Anderson evidently basically instigated it, he got six games and Ramirez only got three. That was, a, that was a wild one. Another note from the uh, world of baseball. The Angels, and I applauded them for not trading Otani. They, they pulled him back. And they could have gotten the biggest trade deadline haul, one would think, in the history of the game, even though it's a rental, because of who Otani is. And they pulled him back. And, and credit to the Angels, in my mind, for doing that. Some would say they were foolish, but they were going for it, and they and they made a number of moves to enhance their club, and and a couple of them, as as we all know, involved the Rockies, getting additional bats. Originally Mike Mustakis, more recently C.J. Crone and Randall Grichik. Unfortunately for the Angels, as we tape this today, they've played. I don't, I don't want to say they played poorly. I haven't watched their games, but they haven't won, right? They have not won. They've gone on a losing streak. And now it appears more likely than ever that Shohei Otani is going to play out his last couple of months with the Angels and have an MVP year, another season that we've never seen before in the history of the game. And it's not going to end up with Angels fans or the rest of the country being able to see Shohei Otani in the postseason. And that is tremendously disappointing. Again, I applaud them for going for it. I think Artie Marino's uh, approach was the right one. We'll see where he ends up after this year. Obviously, the Angels are going to do everything uh, they can to keep him. But you now are going to go, in all likelihood, they could turn this around. There's still enough time left. they got to hurdle some, some teams in front of them naturally. But it seems more and more likely that the postseason, once again, will be without Mike Trout and Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani is the most impactful player in the game. He's the biggest name now in the game, not only here in North America and in the Caribbean, but certainly internationally with what he brings um, being a native of Japan. And Mike Trout, for the last decade, has been celebrated as the best player in the game prior to the arrival, I guess, of Otani and and his two-way prowess. And yet, the postseason has been devoid of both of those guys. It's akin, if you think about it, to LeBron James, who is celebrated in the NBA as one of the two or three or four greatest players of all time. And yet, imagine you never saw him in, in the playoffs. I mean, that'd be crazy. And yet, because of how baseball's played out and the impact of even a great, great player like Trout, a once-in-a-million-years kind of player like Otani, those guys still may not play in the postseason. And the name that 
you know, so frequently was mentioned about being great and yet the rest of the nation not getting to see his greatness because he always played on poor teams was Ernie Banks with the Cubs. Well, this is now in an era where even more teams can go to the postseason. There's three additional postseason uh, teams beyond the division winners because of the wild card, and uh, it seems likely Otani won't go. I was talking to a buddy of mine, and actually I was talking also to Marky, who uh, you know produces and uh, and engineers this show and does such a wonderful job, and he's a huge sports fan naturally, and he's from Pittsburgh originally. And he says I want to see Otani in the playoffs. I want to see him play on a national stage. I want to see Trout on that. That's that was what got me going. And I think most people out there who are baseball fans or even just casual fans, they want to see this guy in a postseason series. So there is that. A little bit more on realignment in college football. And then there were four. So the Pac-12 is down to four. It reminds me of the old Southwest Conference. Southwest Conference used to be the king of football, king of the autumn, Arkansas and Texas and A&M. And then the Southwest Conference went away. So people who thought, man, it couldn't happen to the Pac-12. The original Pac-8, been around since, I think, 1916. By far have won when you include all the sports, more championships than any other conference by a ton. Conference of champions. And now, as we tape this today, they're down to Stanford and Cal, Washington State and Oregon State. And with all due respect to the folks in Corvallis, Oregon, and the folks in Pullman, Washington, the only two schools that seem to hold a lure for some of these other conferences, Stanford, world-renowned institution, Cal, similarly, Cal hasn't had the success in sports of late, especially in their revenue sports, football, and basketball. But it's, uh, it's all come falling apart rather quickly. And now, is it Stanford and Cal going to the ACC? If it is, and there's the academic fit, because like the Big Ten, there's some outstanding academic institutions. Let's not kid ourselves. It always comes down to money. Always comes down to money. And I know there's many people here who follow Colorado State or Boise State or Air Force or Wyoming, and they're hoping that you know, the Mountain West can absorb those four schools and maybe elevate the status and, and all of the other schools in the Mountain West somehow become uh, a Power Five conference. I don't know if that's happening. I don't know if that's what's going to shake out. What's going to shake out with the Rose Bowl? <laughs> the granddaddy of them all, right? Won't be the Big Ten playing the Pac-12 any longer on New Year's Day. I guess they'll still have a parade. We'll see what happens with the Rose Bowl. I thought uh, Coach Drinkwitz, who's the head coach, head football coach, it's important that I mention that, head football coach at the University of Missouri, and everyone's had an opinion on what's gone down with the Pac-12 over the last week. I thought he made some marvelous points. Number one, he said football will be fine. It always is, because football drives the bus. We know that. Drives the bus financially. He said, but what about all the other student-athletes in all of the other sports? So you're at UCLA or USC or Oregon or Washington. We'll talk about the schools that have joined the Big Ten. You're a volleyball player, and you have to get on a plane 
fly across the country to play Rutgers and Maryland, then fly back. And maybe you have a home couple of matches, and then you're going back and playing Penn State and Ohio State and getting back in the middle of the night and you have to get up for an 8 a.m. class. Or maybe when you were recruited, the allure of staying on the West Coast was mom and dad, friends and family could see you play road games pretty easily because of the proximity of the other campuses in the Pac-12. Most of these conferences historically have been more regional in nature. That's no longer the case. Football, they're going to fly privately. They always do. You're going to major college football teams. They're not getting on a Southwest flight. Many college basketball teams are not men's college basketball teams and women's, I believe, as well. Some of the time are flying privately. But all the other sports, swimming, water polo, gymnastics, you know, they're going to have their meet and then they're going to have to go to the airport and get on long flights to fly across the country or back. And it does impact academics. It impacts sleep. It impacts so many things. And when you talk about sleep, it's tied to mental health. Coach Drinkowitz went on about this and I thought was very eloquent. If you have an an opportunity to to hear some of what he said, it's worth going back and listening to uh, when he was asked about what had transpired with the Pac-12. We'll keep our eye on that because uh, contrary to what we heard from uh, one commissioner in particular, uh, this is not done. One uh, conference commissioner, this is not done. There's more to come. It's been a whirlwind. Back to baseball. Had an opportunity with the Rockies in St. Louis to catch up with uh, a guy that will go down as one of the all-time Rockies and disappointing clearly that uh, he's not finishing his career, which still has a lot left to it in uh, in Denver. You wish he was going to be another Todd Helton for various reasons. We all know it did not work out that way with Nolan Arenado. I clearly believe he's uh, one at one point in time or one day in time, he will be a Hall of Famer. Uh, with St. Louis, he's probably going to be joined there by the guy who plays across from him and Paul Goldschmidt. But we sat down and we talked about the Cardinals' current season, which has been most disappointing. We talked about his time in Colorado. We also talked about his departure. I think you'll uh, enjoy this sit-down with the perennial gold glove and MVP caliber third baseman now of the Cardinals, Nolan Arenado. I said something on the air last night, and I and I said I had to repeat it. I said the Cardinals have finished last in their division once in a hundred years. How long did it take you to realize when you came here that that it's just different? Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, not yeah, not too long. I mean, I think there's a there's an expectation here, and it's a, there's a you know from the fans too they'll let you know a little bit and uh, obviously this year has been really tough for us and it's, it's it's not quite as fun as the last two years have been but it's part of it and uh, we're just trying to grind away find ways to get better and uh but uh this organization expects a lot and uh, that's what i love about it every day that you get up what self-motivates you um it's pretty simple i mean i think you know, obviously I want to go out there. There's an opportunity to be great. Doesn't mean I'm going to be that day, especially with baseball, but there's always an opportunity to go do something. Um, and then time like this where you're kind of out of it and the you know, playoff picture is not looking very good at all, you just try to go out and compete. 
set the example. Um, there's still a lot to play for, and uh, you know, I still want to reach. There's still goals I have for the season that I still have an opportunity to reach, and I still want to do them. Yeah. You've always grinded. We've had a million conversations about how you go about your business. Going back to remember George, the late George Frazier, telling tell me stories about when he'd see you in Tulsa. Yeah. Does it seem like, wait a second, that was five minutes ago, and now I've been at this thing for, for a decade? Yeah, for sure. I mean, now I'm 32. Uh, it's really different. You know, uh, I'm one of the older guys now on the team, and I remember, you know, obviously being in Colorado all those years, you know, I was usually one of the younger guys, and then now I'm here, and I'm one of the older ones, and uh, by a little bit, you know, there's a guy on our team that's 20, literally 12 years older than him, and we don't have anything in common, and... Uh, you know, besides baseball, loving the game and just trying to be good every day. But uh, it's just kind of crazy when you see that. Have you allowed yourself to be smarter with how hard you work? And you know where I'm going. I mean, you go, you take your ground balls yeah. and you make sure you get your swings in the cage and out on the field. Or do you allow yourself to, to back off at all in the interest of being ready at 7 o'clock? Absolutely. I, I definitely have to. Uh, definitely, It's definitely different. The last two years I've kind of learned uh, to change the way I train and the way I go about my business which has been tough but because um, I like to hit a lot. But uh, there's definitely times this year where I've hit too much and the next day I couldn't move. My back was hurting pretty bad. So, you know, it, there's little things that I have to really keep up with, but there's also things I have to, like, take care of. And it's taking a little bit less ground balls, especially in this heat in St. Louis, taking a little bit less ground balls, less swings, help make sure I'm fresh for a 7 o'clock game. One of the things that was so cool for me, and I can't imagine for you, when – I was watching you guys play last year, whether it was against the Rockies or watching on television, and Albert got hot late, and, you know, I think everybody who loves the game wanted to see him get the 700, but for a while he thought, man, that may still be a reach, and he blew past it. How cool was it to be on the field with him, in the clubhouse with him? Yeah, it was unbelievable. Um, one of my favorite things of my career ever is literally just being a part of that and being on the same team as him. Um, watching him go about his work every day um, to me the greatest right hand hitter ever um, but just watching the way he prepares and all that you know he would say not a lot has changed you know he probably takes a little bit less swings but uh, just uh, unbelievable I mean he literally carried us you know because I got cold in September I know Goldie wasn't feeling great in September either he literally carried us and every time we needed a big swing he did it so I mean just unbelievable what he was doing and uh, obviously watching him hit 700 in LA was just crazy man uh, I just and he said he was going to do it there too so it was awesome do you remember the first thing he said when he got to the dugout uh no man I think we were all just screaming like dude I can't believe you just did that and then I know in the locker room after when we gave him a toast uh just the team we were just kind of like all in awe of like what we just witnessed you know and because we don't really realize what it is and then uh you know and then when you like think back you're like 700 homers that is so many homers you know it's just like being goldie combined don't even have that you know it's just like crazy to think about the things that he's accomplished in this game yeah and, and you know because you're a th- you're an automatic 30 plus homer guy and all you got to do is uh like 20 plus years of that and you're only at 600 <laughs> yeah, right exactly it's, it's crazy it's crazy to think about what he's done in this game seriously um when you look at the numbers and i mean i mean i i, I just i'm in awe was there one thing that you take away if somebody asks you, like I'm doing now or, or 15 years from now, the one thing or two things that, that he imparted to you or you observed that helped you with your game? For sure. I mean, I think there's a few things. One is, you know, well, first off, the first thing I would take would be there's things he can do and I definitely cannot do, right? Like he would say, like, I'm going to sit on this pitch and I'm going to hit it out. He would strike out. 
next about he'd get that pitch and he hits it out you know like he would do things like that and he would talk about doing them I would never talk about doing those things I would talk about sitting on it but I wouldn't sit here and say I'm gonna sit on it and I'm gonna hit this pitch out and he would do those things like there's just things you do you're just like this is unbelievable you know and but you know the, his routine you know he always has his routine he sticks to his work he doesn't like shy away from anything even when things aren't going the way he wants them he still sticks with his routine that was something that I learned from him that I really appreciated what about Goldie? Because uh, I, I think everybody who loves baseball, again, especially here in St. Louis and, and the surrounding area, were, were thrilled when you came here and then now you had arguably the two best corners in all of baseball. First of all, how excited were you to, to play with them, a guy you played against so many times when he was in Arizona, and what did you learn from him? Yeah, I mean, I, I learned a lot. I mean, Goldie's probably the best fundamental player I've ever seen. Uh, he really is like a five-tool player. He may not be like the fastest guy, but he steals bags. Hits for average, hits for homers, great defense. I mean, he does all the little things. And the one thing with Goldie is that he prepares better than anybody I've ever seen. And uh, he takes so much pride in the little things of the game, how to touch the base, how to how to round the base, um, all these little things that like take get an edge on the player or on the pitcher. Um, he's by far the best. Um, Charlie was like that when I was in Colorado, all those little things. But Goldie takes it to a whole new level. And then obviously just playing with him and watching him win the MVP, you know, was unbelievable. And uh, but like I said, the little things, he focuses on those so much, and then obviously they come into fruition throughout the season. Is it now, I don't want to say old hat, but when you come back to Colorado, and, and fans always obviously cheer for you, what are your emotions now that you're a few years removed from the trade? Um, I mean, obviously I love going back. There's a lot of restaurants I love to eat at. There's a lot of places I love to eat at. Um, there's people I love to see. Um, the team is... You know, every time, every year I get away from, and every year I'm away from Colorado, the more players I don't know. Uh, you know, Freeland's over there still, McMahon, I know, you know, uh, Kinley, Bard. Um, there's only really a few players now, you know, and there's a lot of new young players, which are, some of them are pretty good. But, you know, I know Marquez is her and Senza and those guys, so those guys too. But it's just kind of like the more I'm away from the more I'm like, now I'm getting really unfamiliar with the players and who they are. You know, it's just kind of how it is nowadays. So, you know, that's just another reason why I'm getting older. But, uh, oh, and Chuck, sorry, I can't forget Chuck. But it's just a little bit different as far as that goes. But uh, I still appreciate everybody there. Um, I still love going back there. I, lo I love that field. Um, like I said, I love I love living in Colorado. I lived in downtown and I loved it. So, you know, at the time and uh, there's things I miss about it for sure. Have you reconciled now? And again, you're 32, and, and we all mature. We all evolve. I just turned 60. I like to think I'm trying to be better than I was when I was 58. You know, all those things. But have you reconciled in your mind what went down, how it went down, and where are you today when you think about it, if you think about it? Yeah, I mean, I think there's some things I wish I could take back with how it went down, maybe letting it get public there. Um, that's one thing I do regret about it. Um, was talking to the media about any of those things. That's one thing, I guess, when I was a little younger and I was frustrated and I, my emotions got the best of me in that time. That's the only thing I would regret about how I went down. Um, but me getting moved was, uh, I think, important um, for me and my career. I think it was important for them, too. Um, and uh, I think that's about it. You know, I, 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 like, uh, I guess the one regret I have is uh, not... I wish we would have had, you know, like we had a pretty good group, you know, it was kind of fun, you know, me, Story, DJ, uh, Cargo, uh, you know, like it was a pretty cool group, good players, pretty good ones. So 
Um, I wish we would have accomplished more, but I also wish we would have kept a lot of guys there. Those guys back too. Yeah, I was, I was going to ask you about that because 2018, uh, as you know, the, the club has never won a division. 2018, you guys were right there finishing the dead heat. I still think about that series in September in L.A. Yeah. And, and I know as many games as you played, as many A.B.s. Do you go back every once in a while and go, man, we were right there? Yeah, we were right there, exactly. I mean, I think about like, the heartbreak games. I remember we were like beating Texas by like four with one out in the ninth in Texas. I don't know if you remember that. And we lost that game. Cincinnati, we had bases loaded. Dahl was up, down one, lined down to a double play. I think about that game. Um, there's obviously a few other ones. Um, I wish we would have added a few more pieces at the break. Um, I think that we probably would have got over the edge if we would have done that. Um, I think we added Butera and Sing 1-0, which they helped us tremendously, but maybe a few more I think would have got us over the edge. Yeah. You know, it's wild that, again, you have played as many games as you have. I've broadcast a million games. I can't remember shit, all right? <laughs> yeah. You remember specific instances. Yeah. I remember you know bits and pieces but that's pretty wild yeah i mean I, I think there's just times like you know in colorado and you know there's a lot of heartbreak it gets, you get some wild games there and there's a lot of heartbreak games sometimes there because of the field and just how things turn out and uh 2018 was a special year we had a really good team but i think about some of those losses because uh those were tough ones you know those are the ones we needed because we lost we thought we tied the division and if we just win that one extra game we win the division and then i also think about the game the series because we played washington we won the first game. I think L.A. lost the second game. Or no, they needed a sweep. San Fran, I think, and they swept them, right? And then we lost, We got killed by Washington in the second game. That hurt, and then we beat them bad. We beat them in the last game. But uh, as tough as that was, it was still fun winning in Chicago. Absolutely. I mean, it's <laughs> like, it was like... You guys were like a, a traveling uh, circus at that, yeah, that point. Game hurt. in L.A., game in Chicago, game in Milwaukee. Yeah, that probably hurt us a little bit in the playoffs as far as traveling, get a little tired and stuff like that. But, yeah, that was fun. How cool a moment was it for you in 21, back at Coors Field, all-star game? You know, that was your place. Yeah. And the, and, and the crowd, uh, international audience, yeah. could celebrate what you've done. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, like I said, I don't know if I deserved that, but... It meant a lot to me, you know. I love it. I love. I really appreciate the fans for appreciating me, and uh, yeah, man, it was unbelievable. The All Star game was unbelievable. Even just going back in '21 was unbelievable. Um, for a while there, after I remember after I left in '21, after I was like, I don't want to ever go back, you know, because it's a weird feeling, you know, when you face a former team. You know, I was like, I don't want to go back there again. You know, I don't want to see old faces. I don't want to like. I don't want to like people that I have to face, you know. There's all those things, you know. And but now that I'm getting a few years away from it, there's like less people I know. But you know, I, it's always tough when you face people that you care about, like Freeland and Marquez and these guys that you know you grinded with and went to the playoffs with. Yeah. As, as motivated as you were to be great, and I'm sure you set the expectations for yourself high because no one can achieve if they don't have high expectations. Do you ever stop maybe in the off-season during a lift or when you're in the cage in, in November getting ready for another season and go, wow, I've, I may have exceeded what I thought I could do? Yeah, I think I've done more than I wanted to do, I expected to do for sure. Um, but now that I'm here, there's, you got to keep, you know, you gotta right, keep yeah. going, right? I mean, I remember uh, Tulo or Todd, I think it was Todd told me that, you know, just because you hit 30 homers once, guess, guess what? Now everyone expects you to do it again. So... You know, now there's expectations every year, and that comes with pressure, and so I got to make sure I prepare. And so usually, 
I do sit back and say, man, I kind of achieved more than I wanted, but then I also get like that demon in me, in my head that also tells me that like you better not let up because you're, you're gonna you're not gonna play as well anymore. So, you know, I know my time is coming to an end. I'm more more on the back end of my career, not too bad, but I know I'm more on the end of it. And uh, but there's still the expectations are still very high. I remember having a conversation with the guy you just referenced, Todd Helton. Uh, really late in his career. Nowhere, I mean, like he was 37, 38. I mean, it was it was near the end. And I said, "What are you working on today?" And he said, "I'm trying to get better." And yeah. he was dead. You know how taught us. He yeah, was dead yeah. serious. Yeah. And that struck a chord with me. Forget whether it's baseball or you're a weather person or you're a business person, whatever it is. No matter where you are, you're trying to get better. And I've always felt that's you. Yeah. I do. No, I appreciate that. That's something I do apply. I mean, I already have a plan set for the off season. Um, got a sprint coach ready for me. I got my trainer ready for me. There's so many things that I've already that I noticed this year that I know I'm doing well, just but I'm not doing it as well as I want. So I already have these things set up ready for me in the off season. So when I get back to off season, I have it planned out, ready to go, ready to run, do sprints, agility, making sure I just keep up. You know, and uh, there's no reason why I should let up now. I mean, I still I feel I got four or five really good years of baseball left in me really good and uh that's my goal you know i know one other thing i remember him saying to me he said that at the end of the year that's when he could finally kind of take a deep breath let his hair down you know all his idiosyncrasies and superstitions he could let it go and really what he was saying is i can enjoy life more as great as he was at the game and i and again i look at you i've seen how you grind from close and from afar do you allow yourself to enjoy it now more than maybe you did five, six years ago? I think so, a little bit more. I mean, there's definitely times, I mean, I mean, I could probably count on, like, you know, obviously I could count on three fingers how many seasons I really enjoyed in my career. Um, from, like, like, 2017 was awesome, right? Played really well. Uh, went to the playoffs for the first time. 2018 was really fun. Uh, played bad in the end. I played bad in, like, September. I didn't have a great second half, but, we, you know, played great. Went to the playoffs again. Uh, 2019 was fun, played well, but you know, like last year was like, really fun. Like I really felt like I didn't get as mental and as frustrated. You know, there's just like certain years you could count, but there's definitely years where you're like, man, I didn't really enjoy. Like, I don't know, you don't sit back as much as you want, I guess. Listen, man, it's great catching up. Uh, you have a lot of fans back in Colorado, and whether it's 10, 15 years down the road, um, and you come back to town, will that? Will that be okay for you to be celebrated again? <laughs> yeah, I would love to come back. I mean, obviously, I want my kids or my baby, my girl now. Yeah. When I get older, see where I play ball, where I started my career. And uh, like I said, I got a lot of love for Colorado. I'll definitely be going there to visit. Stay safe. Stay well, my friend. I appreciate you. Thank you. One point that we touched on, the fact that Nolan's now 32, and when he came up, he was around 22, and... You know, it's a decade of growth on the field. It's a decade of maturity. And I, and I and I think you heard that in how, you know, Nolan spoke about, you know, his time in Colorado and how he would have, you know, handled some things maybe differently um, that ultimately led to uh, his departure. But he's a guy that, you know, I'll always root for because uh, he's a good person, number one. Uh, naturally, he's a joy to watch. Wish it was still in purple. We know it's not, and you and you move on. That's what we do in life. That's certainly what we do in athletics. Uh, but um, he was candid, and I appreciate his time, and I appreciate the candor as well. Guess what? We're out of time here. Time to head to the ballpark and uh, see the Rockies take on 
uh, the Brewers as we tape this in game two. And then it's off to L.A. Long road trip. We'll do it again one week from today. Thanks, as always, uh, for joining us. Stay safe. Stay well, everyone. Talk to you soon.